Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 14, the one about 500 story questions, social media growth, and Bill and Ted face the music. Let's get on with the show. Welcome everyone to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast series. I give you Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. And what a pleasure it is to spend more time with a man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple. You are the voice of the Marketing and Finance podcast and the host of the Roger Love video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Thank you, Pascal. And here we are with episode number 14. So they say that the average podcast lasts for seven episodes, so we've doubled that, so I'm really pleased. So let's go straight into our first section, which is in the news. All right, Roger, we begin with Facebook, who's promoted Alex Schultz as their new CMO, previously the VP of Product Growth. This appointment is announced at a time where Facebook is facing a difficult period with the upcoming US election. The value of UK brands has decreased substantially this year, Pascal, with the UK failing to keep pace with other countries amid a warning that UK brands could disappear from the list of the top 100 global brands within three years. Well, goodness. Well, TikTok has introduced measures against the 2020 US election misinformation, including a guide to provide users with facts ahead of the election in November. Amazon is trialling a payment system that registers an image of the user's palm, hoping that it will soon be available next to traditional point-of-sale methods. We're talking about new tech. Google has announced the launch of a new Chromecast, and it could be yours for free, Roger. All you have to do is to sign up for YouTube TV before the end of the year. Now, there's a small catch, I'm afraid. The deal is only available in the US for now. I learnt a new word this week, Pascal, de-densification. When employees do return to the office, things are going to look very different. Temporary satellite offices closer to home, socially distanced conference rooms, flex floors and desk dividers are just some of the new plans being drawn up by corporates. Well, building on that, according to a research by Twitter UK, we've all been embracing the slowdown. We're scheduled completely rewritten as we stayed home. Many of us are seeing the positives of the slower pace of life and tweeted an intention to stay slow for the future. The Stoptober campaign goes back to basics as the pandemic prompts smokers to quit. Health messages is front and centre in the latest phase of this long-running smoking cessation drive. Wow, what an eclectic but fascinating set of news, Roger. <laughs> I know, I know. And this, this whole concept of de-densification. <laughs> I mean, I, you know what I'm like with complicated words and, and, and management speak and stuff like that. And, and densification is interesting, um, is, a, is a term used by the airline industry for cramming in more seats. So uh, a couple of years ago, Br British Airways reduced the seats pitch on their short haul aircraft from something like 31 inches down to 29. And the project was called densification. But I guess this whole coronavirus social distancing thing has proved that actually we can't keep cramming people into small spaces, be it airlines, be it offices, and de-densification, if, if that is a word, means spreading out and giving people more space. And well, virus or not, I'm all for a bit more space. Oh, indeed, you're right. And you know, I was thinking uh, about this as I was listening to you, can you see this actually carrying over to public spaces like libraries and, and even going to your local council offices? Can you see this happening on buses and cinemas and so on? Yeah, because it's always been the case. The, the airline um, example is just the tip of the iceberg. Everybody does seem to want to cram more people in. And and yes, they they can make it more comfortable. Maybe the seats are smaller, but they've because they've the technology means that they can still get the same amount of padding in a thinner seat or something like that. But ultimately, there does come a point where you just don't want to be so close to somebody else. So, you know, this is possibly one of the benefits that will come out of the COVID crisis. 
Now, I'm sorry I teased you about the Google Chromecast. Of course, you can't get it for free uh, from the UK. Perhaps it's going to change. But I'm going to move on to Amazon using the image of your palm. Yeah. So Apple are using face technology. And one of the interesting things I've noticed recently is that when I'm walking around with my face mask on, of course, my iPhone can't recognize my face with my mask on. So I always have to type in the number um, to get into my phone, which is quite interesting. Palms, though, that's quite interesting. I'm and surprising. I would have thought that they would have gone with some sort of facial recognition as opposed to hand. I wonder whether it's because it's going to be much, much harder to either copy or, or simulate, you know, because I'm assuming they're going to be using the lines on your palm, you know, the crisses in your palms and maybe mm -hmm. the fingerprints or the shape of your, your fingers. But mm -hmm. I have this image, I must confess, Roger, as I'm listening to this conversation, I have this image of the Terminator in Terminator 3 when he says, you know, <laughs> stalk to the hand, you know, pushing his hand down. Um, why not? I mean, ultimately, it's much better than what they tried in the Nordic countries of actually inserting a small implant into the palm of your hand to pay yes. for items. I think I would rather not have any um, kind of foreign items in, inside my body. I definitely don't want anything inserted. Definitely don't want anything inserted. So, Pascal, shall we do a little bit more of a focus on a couple of particular subjects? Shall we move on to our content spotlight slot? Let's do this. In the content spotlight section of the show, Pascal and I pick a bit of content that's caught our attention over the last week. It could be an article, it could be a podcast, it could be a video, and we bring it to the show to discuss. Now, we never tell each other what that piece of content is until the moment that we reveal it. So it's always a pleasant surprise for us to discuss. So Pascal, what delights have you got for me this week? Well, this week, Roger, I've got a video and a surprising one. And I was actually very, very torn about whether or not I should present it as part of the content spotlight. The video is called a 500 question 500 roger 500, 500 questions 500 questions to help you write a better story and this video was compiled by a group called film courage and the reason why i was hesitant is that i sometimes think i'm pushing my luck to claim that we can learn from filmmakers and screenwriters in our content marketing efforts but i'm going to try anyway now film courage was founded in 2009 by two independent film producers karen warden and david brannan and I make the claim very often, as you know, Roger, that we as marketers and content creators are behaving very much like independent filmmakers. Never enough time, never enough money, and never always all the right resource. And yet, and yet, despite those obstacles, we do come up with engaging content. And what I would like to argue is that if somebody is planning to write a blog series, if somebody is planning to put together a podcast or video series, they could learn a lot from screenwriters who have had to essentially battle for attention to get past, you know, the, the gatekeepers and so on. Now, Film Courage is a community that was launched, as you know, in 2009. They began by doing a podcast for two years, two or three years, then launched a YouTube channel. And their role is to be a source of inspiration for, you know, upcoming aspiring filmmakers, as well as those who've been doing it for a while. But typically, they will look at the independent side of the film industry. And if I was to say to you that as of today, they have more than four and a half thousand interviews, across the board from screenwriters to filmmakers to actors and set designers. It's just an incredible library of content. So firstly, congratulations to them. But the reason I chose them today is not necessarily for that incredible achievement. It's because that video is a lesson in two things content repurposing and actually how you can really stimulate imagination. So to begin with, what they did was to go back into their vault, into their archives of 2020, 2019, I suspect, and literally edited the interviews of 90 filmmakers into a fast-moving series of questions, the famous 500 questions. And the purpose of this video is to make you think almost in a kind of meditative stage about the kind of questions you should be asking yourself to vastly improve the impact of the blog article you're about to write or the interview you're about to make on the podcast. So I'm not going to obviously um, read out all questions. I'm only going to <laughs> share a few. But for me, the way to use it is this idea of let the video run in a background, 
And then literally with a pen and paper or a whiteboard, whenever you hear a question that connects with you, write it down. So, and you can listen maybe for 10 minutes of the half hour video, Roger. You don't have to listen to all of it, but some question that connected with me when I was listening to it. Um, what is your worldview and what has happened to you to make it so? So that's a question. And then it could trigger a thought process. You could trigger an idea to go, well, actually, yeah, I'm about to write an article, but maybe I should add a paragraph to explain something has happened to me to make it my worldview, and therefore I'm going to move forward. What story would you tell to have an audience be aware of something new? That's a question that amongst, you know, the 500, what is the professional and personal dilemma you are exploring? question mark. What is the nature of the problem and the nature of the goal? And they've gone and on about all those things. But the one that I liked a lot, because I think it's very telling in the world of being a content creator, what is the fear that is crippling the character at the beginning of the story? And how do they find the courage at the end of the story to overcome this fear? I would argue, Roger, and you and I know this, that in the world and the practice of content marketing, there is a lot of fear that is crippling people in their style. And what Film Courage essentially is suggesting as a, as a, as a mantra, it takes courage to tell a truthful story. Mm. There's some really interesting stuff in there, Pascal, isn't it? And I, I, I guess when you actually look at content marketing, it really just is answering questions that people have about what you do. Uh, it, whether you're manufacturing cupcakes, whether you're manufacturing cars, whether you're offering marketing services like we do, customers or clients are going to have questions about what you do. You know, how much does it cost? How long will it take? Um, you know, where where is it happening? And and content is a way of answering all of the questions that people have. But those questions that you've just come up with there, a little bit more challenging, aren't mm. they, than the than the standard, what, how much does it cost, etc. And therefore, I think that they could prompt people to think of much richer, much richer and maybe more interesting answers. And I think that's at the heart of my contribution today, my suggestion, which is literally watch the video, let it run, and there'll be one or two questions in there. You're going to go, ah, now, I can mm. use that as a spark for maybe an additional paragraph or indeed an additional question to ask my guest on the podcast or the video. Or you're right, if you're about to write sales copy and you could ask a question, or, and in addition to the features and benefits kind of uh, you know model, are there any professional or personal dilemma that my client is going through that I should be echoing back to actually build that trust? Um, relationship, you know, and I think to me, uh, all too often, what has happened over time, people have been second guessing the messaging in a way that I think has taken them away from this idea of just walking the shoes of your customers for a while, understand their queries, their concerns for the future. What is it that is going through their heads, really, as they are exploring the option of buying from you? And you should be seen to be the first one to tackle those head on. Yeah. And I guess this is a good way of, of elevating your content to being something special and making it stand out. And again, one of the main reasons we do marketing is to make ourselves stand out from our competitors. Uh, you know, I always say, how are you better and preferably different to your competition? And I think, you know, digging a little bit deeper and using some of these more challenging questions like you've described will give people some ideas as to how they can elevate their content into into a much more interesting place. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you, you like the, the, this selection, and I hope our viewers and listeners will, uh, you know, be happy that I pushed you know, a bit of more filmmaking content. But I thought there was some nice correlation with this idea of you are an independent content producer, the same way you'd be an independent film producer. Now, Roger, what about your selection for today? Okay, I've got an article which is on the Business Insider website, and. It's actually, it's, it's, it's four tips, not 500, four tips <laughs> for using social media to grow your business. Now, actually, that, that's one of the sort of titles that I usually roll my eyes at. You know, 50 ways to improve your content marketing, 10 ways to improve your Twitter engagement, five ways to blah, 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 blah. You know, you think, oh, not one of those again. But I did decide to read this one simply because it was quite short and it 
was really simple and you know that I like simplicity and and funnily enough and we do say don't we we'd never tell each other in advance what these um, articles or or pieces of content are going to be but there are there are a few similarities okay. in this that to, to what you've just described so I'm just going to go through very quickly what the the four tips are and and why that why they just stood out to me and again Pascal these are these are isn't it, it's simple stuff you know you could I could also all be accused of teaching granny to suck eggs here to a certain extent. But number one is focus your content on interesting stories, which is, you know, pretty much the thrust of what your 500 questions from your uh, filmmakers and, and, and scriptwriters have just said there. And, you know, we really do need to remind each other um, in business that the majority of the human race thrives on stories that's why we go to the cinema that's why we watch tv that's why we turn on netflix and if you can build a story into what you post on social media and and this article is focusing on social media as a channel then your content is likely to be a lot more engaging and and you know as well as I do that a lot of content on social media is just basically advertising, isn't it? It's buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. And what they're saying here is, no, look, try to create that story. You know, even if you've only got 240 characters, you can still build a little bit of tension. You know, the hero's journey, that sort of thing. And and just think of the stories around your product around your service around your business and try to build those into what you post on social media and the second one and and i slap myself on the wrist for not doing this as often as i think i should it says do a poll asking what type of content people want and you know we very i I don't think we ask our customers customers enough about our services and our products. You know, we might do a little bit of research at the start, but you need to be doing that ongoing questioning. And and why why I, I really like this particular one is it, it's suggesting don't just say, here's a question and answer A and answer B. In why don't you actually ask an open-ended question. Now, you could do this using the story facility on Instagram as opposed to Twitter, but Instead of giving somebody the AB, just sort of say, tell me how this makes you feel. Tell me, you know, what emotions this product or this service stirs within you. And and you're likely to get some insights when people answer questions like that. When they just type A or B, all you're going to get is a percentage of A's and a percentage of B's, aren't you? But when you ask people open-ended questions and they give you hopefully an emotional response, then you're going to hopefully learn some really insightful stuff. And and then they, they then extend that and sort of say, well, you know, why not take that Q&A session into a Facebook Live, Instagram Live, if you've got it, LinkedIn Live. I know that's an ongoing bone of contention, Pascal. Um, you know, ask these questions in a live environment. You know, once upon a time, Asking questions of customers required you to hire one of those um, focus group meeting rooms, you know, with a two-way mirror that you can sit behind. But now, all of these social media channels are effectively there for you to have a conversation with your customers and make it engaging. And the final one, the final one, and again, I slap myself on the wrist for this as well, make sure you have a call to action in every post at least every post that you want people to to buy something or or to go to a website or something like that. And it's loads of times that I've put together um, social media posts and I actually forget the call to action. Um, And okay, sometimes if it's just a two-way conversation between friends or something like that, you definitely don't need a call to action. But if it's business related, then always decide what it is you want your customer or your client to do as a result of that piece of content and make sure that the CTA is in there. So so that's it, Pascal. A really simple article, probably only takes you about a minute or two to read. And I just thought those were really four really simple um, ideas. Again, ones that we all know, but it's nice to be reminded of them. And again, back to stories. Can't be reminded about stories enough, I think. Uh, you know, I have to tell you that I'm thinking, yeah, if people just 
took those four actions for the foreseeable future, they would actually see some big improvement. You know, you're right about the poll. It never comes to to mind. I, I never think about it. I'm thinking, right, well, since Roger brought it up, I might actually, because, you know, I do regular curation types of exercise yeah. and I show this on social. Maybe it's time to ask people, well, how are you finding it? And importantly, are there any subject matters or areas within digital that you'd like me to spend more time on than, than, than most? And then the call to action, let me give you an example. So recently I was doing a quick debrief with a client. You know, We went through the mentoring scheme. They were now on their way. They knew as much as I did. They just need to practice more. And they were saying that the number of subscribers on LinkedIn had plateaued for a while, and we're not sure why. And what they discovered is that they were getting more subscribers when they asked a question, when they actually told people, and don't forget to subscribe, or don't forget to join us on, on LinkedIn. And when they did so, the numbers went up, which was really quite remarkable. So you're right, mm -hmm. it's the simplest thing ever. Absolutely, absolutely. So give those give those four things a try. There'll be a link to the article and there'll be a link to Pascal's article as well in the show notes for the podcast. So go along, have a look have a read let us know what you think because we'd like to know what you think of these articles and podcasts and, and videos that we highlight mm. in the content spotlight round so let's move on pascal and this is always one of my favorite sections marketing tech and apps in this section of the show pascal and i pick a couple of apps or platforms that have caught our attention over the last week. And it could be an iPhone app or an Android app. It could be something that you can use on a PC or a Mac. So, Pascal, tell me about your tech for this week. So this week, you know that we explored Google and Google products mm. for a few weeks. And I hope you don't mm. mind. I'm going to stick within the Google ecosystem. I'm going to go for Google Chrome extensions. So the little mm -hmm. widgets and apps you can add on your browser. The recommendation is not to have too many. It's going to slow down your machine. But by accident, because I was looking for something else altogether, I came across something called Podcastle, as in pod for podcast and castle as in the Edinburgh Castle. This right. is a Google Chrome extension that can read out to you web pages and mm -hmm. emails and anything that is text-based. So you will download the free Google Chrome extension, Podcastle. You will activate it when you, you've opened a web page. And then if you're busy doing something else, such as um, you know reading email, whatever, it will read out to you the article from your favorite you know, website, Roger, or it will read out the emails to you. And I have to tell you, it's really quite impressive. Now, the voice is very, very robotic. It reminds me yeah. of the early years of sat-nav navigation. But <laughs> if you're busy and you really want to try and multitasking, uh, it is actually quite something. I'm assuming they got, they've got aspiration to move into transcription very soon and other things, but uh, that was the, the first one. Excellent. I, it's, it's, I quite like the sound of that. I sometimes get a bit freaked out by these Roboty type voices, um, you know. Uh, but as long as it, as long as it's not too Dalek-y or too um, Terminatory, then I'm, I'm quite happy with it. So very quickly, the second one is one that we mentioned in passing in a previous episode, a Google Chrome extension called Soapbox by Wistia. And it's been mentioned, but I'm just so, so impressed with it. Uh, it will record your webcam and your screen at the same time, and then you can edit afterwards. So let's say you get a, a phone call from a customer, Roger, or an email asking you how to do something. And frankly, the thought of writing a lengthy email is really not what you have in mind. Then what you can do is literally open your, your screen, go on the app that you want to demonstrate, potentially Canva or another. You can do a show and tell so you could kind of move around the canva web page you can uh, talk away through your webcam and then once it's finished you can go back and edit and change the view so you can go full screen just you roger talking to say hi to the customer then you move into full screen of canva then you can move split screen so it could be half of the screen is you half of the screen is canva and you can keep changing almost you know by simply pressing the space bar once you're happy with the results um, you can just send a copy to your customer fantastic we're really really finding some great some great tech here i really like all of this stuff and you know again google is a treasure trove of of apps and extensions isn't it so thank you 
once again for bringing these to my attention. Shall I hit you with mine? Okay, now... A couple of weeks ago, we gave a shout out to a lady called Jan Ambrose, and she was a lady who did a very short video on LinkedIn about how to calm yourself down and to, to breathe properly. Now, funnily enough, Pascal, since that shout out, I've actually been asked by a client to do a workshop on calming yourself down under stressful situations and um, this is as a result of the fact that as you know I do a sideline as a fitness instructor and therefore it was actually somebody in one of my body combat classes who said could you do this for us now I do teach meditation and calmness as part of my yoga so I said yes but I therefore did a little bit of research about breathing and relaxation to help me put together that workshop and i came across the 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 apple breathe app now again you think why on earth would somebody need an app to help them breathe i mean we all breathe automatically don't we we don't even think about it but the fact is and this is what i'll be saying in the session a lot of us don't breathe properly we breathe very, very quick, and and we actually a lot of us breathe from the very top of the of the chest, when in fact the lungs go quite a way down, and we should be breathing through the whole of the of the volume of the lungs. And and what the, what the Apple Breathe app does is it teaches you how to do that, and if you can breathe slower, then it's better, better and more beneficial for your body. And ideally, if you actually breathe out for longer than you breathe in and and believe it or not the apple breathe app can create a sort of almost like a you breathe with it can you believe that you actually breathe with it so it'll say inhale and it counts to say five and then exhale and it say counts to seven so it sounds a bit bizarre doesn't it but actually it's so good at making us breathe properly and and seriously that is one of the only things you need to do to relieve stress uh this sort of sent me off down a rabbit hole <laughs> what i've then found is do you, do you ever ever use one of these white noise type apps to help you sleep at night i've, try, I've, I've tried them and they didn't quite work with me they kept me away because i enjoyed the sound too much <laughs> yeah there, there is that there is that. i mean pure white noise is is that sort of hissing sound that you sometimes get um when you sort of looking for a radio ch station and, and in between radio stations it's just that sort of buzzing fizzing noise that you hear that's true white noise but a lot of these white noise apps as you know they have rainforest sounds or it could be waves lapping on the shore or waves crashing on the shore sometimes thunderstorms in the background and things like that and uh, I, i've used all sorts of these apps over the years and, and like you Sometimes I, I sit and listen to them and don't go to sleep. Other times they work. But I came across a, a really nice article which effectively summarizes the best of these white noise apps. And because I'm feeling like I'm in a wellness mood today, the, the top one, which I was quite surprised about, is actually one that I've used the most, and it is called My Noise. And again, you can have that pure radio fizzy sound or you can choose from rainforests, oceans, Tibetan choir, temple bells, whatever it might be. So again, there'll be a link in the show notes. So go and have a look and try some of these apps out and try breathing properly. And it's an amazing way to relieve the stress. Well, bear in mind the news we shared a moment ago between the de-densification and the Twitter research. And yeah. also, if you think about it, Roger, the amount of time all of us have spent sat down, probably in a very bad posture, I think you're absolutely right to relearn actually the, the right breathing techniques is going to have great, great um, positive effects on all of us. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Time, I think, to get our time machine out, the TARDIS, the phone box, we're going to be talking about time-traveling phone boxes later. Shall we go back into history? And in 1887, the first commercially successful key-driven mechanical calculator called the Cantometer is patented in the US by Dor E. Felt, who also invented the Cantograph, the first printing adding machine. In 1927, a film was released. It was called The Second Hundred Years. It was a short, silent film, 
and it was starring, for the first time, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. In 1936, Hoover Dam begins transmitting electricity to Los Angeles, harnessing the power of the mighty Colorado River. In 1954, the first transistor radio is launched by Texas Instruments. It will become the most popular electronic communication device in history, with billions manufactured during the 60s and 70s. Listen to this, Roger. In 1975, Bruce Springsteen scores his first pop hit with Born to Run. The album has since been considered by critics as one of the greatest of all time. In 1980, the video game Pac-Man is released by Medway to to arcades in North America and becomes the first true mega-hit video game in history, also sparking the Pac-Man fever. In 1984, the Air Force service allowing phone calls from airplanes is launched on 20 US flights, charging passengers $7.50 for the first three minutes of calls and $1.25 for each additional minutes. And in 2006, Google announces the purchase of YouTube for 1.65 billion US dollars. At the time, YouTube was one of the fastest growing sites on the internet with over 100 million video clips viewed daily. So once again, some amazing, amazing news. Can I, can I go back and look at that Laurel and Hardy film just for a moment, let's, Pascal? Let's do that. I mean, that's incredible. Now... It's scary that it is nearly a hundred years ago since this film was made. You know, in seven years' time, it'll be a hundred years. I watch Laurel and Hardy films quite often because I I thought the two of them were utter, utter geniuses, and I can watch Laurel and Hardy films and laugh so much that I'm actually in pain. Seriously. <laughs> now, now, the reason I wanted to just is that. Um, a couple of years ago, I was at a dinner, an awards dinner in London. It was actually at the Grosvenor House Hotel on Park Lane. Really plush affair. And you know what they sometimes do at these award dinners is they'll have auctions. And they came with this selection of Laurel and Hardy film stills. And they were signed by Laurel and Hardy back in the day. And... I've, as I say, I've always liked Laurel and Hardy. My dad loved Laurel and Hardy. My granddad loved Laurel and Hardy. And I just thought, this is very expensive. But for a laugh, I'll bid a penny over the asking price. And guess what happened? Really? I was the I was the one who had to buy it. Now, I'd probably had quite a lot to drink at this time, and it was probably a little bit more expensive than I would have um, liked to have paid. But I do have it. In my uh, in my study now, I can't turn the camera to show you because it's at the wrong angle, but I have this pride of place, all these photographs of Laurel and Hardy with their signatures on the bottom, and um, I was actually quite pleased that I ended up buying it. Oh, that's a wonderful story. Um, for me, the the one that really caught, well, there's two, the one about the cantometer and the cantograph. Mm-hmm. Um, I find, Roger, that I'm learning so much through, through this podcast. I'm becoming quite good at quizzes because <laughs> if you watch any programs on UK television where there's a, like a game show where people ask questions, I'm coming up with a lot of answers and then it will be said to me, how do you know? I say, oh, that was mentioned in episode six of Two Geeks. How do you know this answer? Oh, we mentioned it in episode 11 of Two Geeks, you know, so it's quite remarkable. But the world would be a very different place without the transistor radio, wouldn't it? Mm, absolutely. Well, without the transistor radio, we wouldn't have been able to listen to amazing tracks like Born to Run um, from Bruce Springsteen, you know. Um, so I, I couldn't believe that they manufactured billions of them, though. I mean, that's incredible. Billions. To this day, my most memorable and kind of you know uh, present, you know, the one that stayed with me was my first radio. I think I was uh-huh. I must have been aged ten, eleven, or twelve, and I felt like it was a proper grown-up present. Um, of course, you know, back then it's almost what parents have to do nowadays. It had to be taken off my room because I would spend the whole night, you know, listening to music because it just felt an incredible thing to be listening in my bedroom to my own radio stations. And back then, in the eighties, it was the beginning of those independent radio stations as well, you know, which um, you had in the UK, no doubt. And, and it was just this feeling of independence by having my own radio in my own room. But of course, came ten o'clock, my parents had to come and unplug it and take it downstairs in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and again, another little story. Back in 1987, that was the year I graduated from university. And within the space of two weeks in Leeds, which is where I was at university, there were three 
mega stadium-style concerts. Genesis and U2 and Bruce Springsteen. Now, I couldn't afford to go to all three of these concerts, and I definitely wanted to go and see Genesis, and I flipped a coin and as it turned out, went to see U2. So that summer I saw Genesis in concert and a couple of days later I saw U2 in concert. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see The Boss. And do you know, I still have not seen The Boss in concert. You know, I know quite a few people who have been several times that would make you very jealous. Um, during lockdown, we managed to watch Blinded by the Light, you know, the movie that uh -huh. was inspired by the music. It was just absolutely thrilling. But very quickly, before we move on, Google buying YouTube. Um, I remember that because in 2006, I, I was really into the transition from being a marketing practitioner to being a marketing trainer. And I was already talking about video marketing, although it was very, very, it was much harder back then, you understand, Roger, to produce a video content, publish it. But um, when you think that at the time, people got excited about 100 million video clips of you daily. Do you know what the number is today, as of August 2020, for the number of video clips watched daily on YouTube? Oh, that must run into the billions as well, I would have thought. You are correct, 5 billion a day. Oof, 5 um, billion. Which is actually an easy number to remember, because I'm not very good with numbers, Roger, but I know that 5 looks like a B, so 5 billion. And it's almost beyond human comprehension, you know, in terms of the number of zeros, the number of video clips. And, but also what we know is that year on year, the number of content being produced almost grows. So compared to, to 2020, compared to 2018, even more content was produced in the space of 12 months. And I think it's going to be very, very interesting how we're going to deal with the, the issue of abundance and how AI and other kind of facilities are going to try and make life a little easier to fight, find your way through, obviously, what is really quite an overwhelming amount of information. There are just so many creators out there, mm. Pascal, aren't there? It's putting together time, all times, this, yeah. all this content. So why not? <laughs> why not? Let's shout out a few of them, shall we? It's the creator shout out section. This is the part of the show where Pascal and I shout out somebody who might be in our own network they may be slightly outside our network sometimes they're way beyond our network but we always like to shout out somebody who's doing good stuff with their content so pascal who have you got for me this week? So this week, I want to celebrate the work of Johnny Ross. And Johnny Ross is based in Yorkshire. Actually, I would love to introduce you to Johnny uh, at some stage. He's an incredibly talented and charming man who's done wonders in the world of online marketing. Very much like you, he's all about simplicity, he's all about taking action, he's all about demystifying, obviously, particularly online selling, using SEO email marketing and being creative with your content. He runs an agency called Flick Marketing, but he's done some really interesting work around community and how to bring people around so he he's been active online for quite some time you understand that but he really went for it during lockdown he launched a regular live show on facebook he actually just recently repurposed this facebook group called the yorkshire business club which has by now i would imagine over 800 members Roger, which is not Minfint. And but what he's done with a Facebook group, which I think is a wonderful example of where content marketing is maturing moving forward, is using the Facebook group really as a platform for others to showcase their content creation, talent, and ability. So it's not just for him. And in fact, it was inspiration for a recent presentation I gave at a virtual conference where I coined the term, which I think has been used before, of a vlogging network. So instead of yes. thinking of it as my channel, my platform, my content, you behave almost like a TV network or you know, a um, kind of podcast network where you are essentially a platform for others to essentially practice their craft and become better content creators. And I think that's, that's to his credit, and he's co-founded, obviously, that platform now with, with others, but he's kind of driving it. And like I said, it's just two things, you know, his approach to uh, showing the good side, positive side of online marketing, but his approach to content creation, the way he's embraced live, you know, during lockdown, and the way he's just allowing others to have a voice within the platform, um, I think is great. So, you know, Johnny Ross, well done with the vlogging network and everything you do out there. This week, I'm going to talk about careers. Now, 
again, we do live in such weird times with obviously the lockdown has affected quite a lot of companies. You know, unfortunately, some people have either been made redundant, been put onto furlough, and, and a lot of other people are noticeably quite worried about the future of their jobs. And I came across a podcast, Pascal, and it's called The Career Happiness Podcast. Now, the lady that runs this podcast is called Shoma Ghosh, and we originally uh connected that's i was going to say connected but that's not that's not what you do on twitter we followed each other on twitter and i really like shoma's approach to her podcasting um maybe maybe i I just i just like that sort of calming voice like jan ambrose a few few weeks ago but shoma tackles some really quite difficult subjects but it's in a really nice practical way. And there's always lots of really, really interesting tips. And as you would expect, she looks at, at things like um, how to deal with career setbacks, three tips on returning to work after an illness, how to recover from redundancy. And whilst this might not sound like the most exciting subject for a podcast, it is it is something that a lot of people are having to deal with at the moment and and probably are going to have to deal with it going forward into into the next year depending upon where this crisis takes us and why wouldn't you want to listen to a podcast as good as this if you need that sort of advice so it's called the career happiness podcast with Shoma Ghosh and as always the link will be here in the show notes Super. So we have two content creators making, having a positive impact on others, which I think is a fine selection. Absolutely right. So Pascal, it is time to move into the film marketing section, which is always one of our favourites. Are you ready for this? Let's jump into the phone booth and let's make our way into the next segment. Fantastic. So it's film marketing, Pascal, and you already made the allusion to the time-travelling phone box. We're not talking about time-travelling police boxes. We're talking about time-travelling phone boxes. We've already had a reference to music today. We've had those transistor radios. We've had Bruce Springsteen singing Born to Run. We are going to talk about Bill and Ted Face the Music. What do you think? Oh, I am so excited. It's taking every <laughs> ounce of my body not to say no way to you or to do uh, the air guitar uh, kind of movement and so on. Uh, what an incredible uh, story we're going to share with you. So just in case you don't know about Bill and Ted, where have you been for the last you know, 20, 30 years? But uh, William Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan are now middle-aged men who have failed to create the song that can unite the world and time and space is about to collapse. Only one thing for it, Bill and Ted decide to jump inside the time-traveling phone booth to steal the song from their future selves. And as we've learned from previous episode of Bill and Ted, if you steal from yourself, it's not theft. <laughs> Do you know, I love time travel films. I just, there's something about, it, 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 it it just gets into your head, doesn't it? That the complexity of the of, of the ramifications of what people are actually trying to do. Now we we've talked about Back to the Future before, and obviously films like Terminator. There's a time travel thing there, and and it's it is that paradox, isn't it? It's you go into the past. If you go into the past to murder your father before you were born, then how could you have been born to go back into the past to murder your father? Therefore. You didn't murder him, therefore you would have been born, therefore you would have been able to. And by the time you get into that circular <laughs> logic, you, you absolutely destroy your, you know, your, your thought processes. But, I, I mean, this is a comedy. This is a comedy. And, and the original Bill and Ted was a time travel. They were going back in their phone book into, into time. And the whole idea is that they will eventually create a rock group that puts together this piece of music which unites society and and the story is pretty much the same it's just that they still haven't done managed it, yeah. to write that song so in preparation for this podcast roger i try very hard to keep away from spoilers because we're not yeah. very lucky in the uk we don't have the film on video on demand or pay-per-view depending on which acronym you prefer so it is out in the cinema the uh, movie was released actually uh, late august it had a bit of a troubled scheduling um kind of plan 
plan, but that's understandable. I think it was originally scheduled to be released on 21st of August when he got excited. Then they said, oh, don't worry, we've got it early for you on the 14th. Oh, sorry, now it's going to have to be late now on the 28th of August. So as ever, um, film goers and, and fans have had to be very, very patient. But that's understandable. And that's not, in terms of day change, Roger, that's not been as dramatic as some other blockbusters out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I think what I need to do before I go to see this one is actually to go back and watch the first two because it must be it must be ten years at least since I've seen though these films. Um, but what, what what do you think of the actual marketing they're doing now that they have got the the, the launch on on the go? Well, I think they played. I think they've played a very clever game. What I mean by that, I don't want to give them credit if that's not really their doing. <laughs> but so it begins in Christmas 2019. You know, we are, we are announced obviously that the movie is about to be to be released. You know, and with the first posters and images. And Alex Winter, who plays obviously uh, Bill, uh, also shared it on, on Twitter. Uh, and, and what we know is that they were really, really keen to release the movie in the summer to catch that summer market. So in February, the teaser poster and a new version of the trailer was out. Um, then a month later, of course, COVID happened. So they had to kind of release then the second trailer without giving too much away. And of course, made the decision for US only for now to go on video on demand. So it was a very safe uh, marketing bet. But that's because, of course, what they could rely on is the fan base who got so excited about Bill and Ted face to music that they couldn't resist but go back to the first two, Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure, 1989, and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey in 1991. Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm remembering scenes as I'm talking to you, Roger. <laughs> and it's making me laugh when they, they're actually taking on death, you know, playing um, a battleship and stuff like that. And what happened really is that suddenly everybody from Mark Commode, you know, my go-to film critic, all the way to the, the local film buffs, created retrospectives videos on YouTube. So we made a comment earlier about the 5 billion views daily. In the space of a month, fans around the world creating nothing short of 24,000 videos looking back at the first Bill and Ted uh, movies. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? But again... They're tapping. I mean, the studio won't have paid very many of those people for producing <laughs> those videos. I mean, the, the, there's possibly some of the people with bigger um, subscriber lists may have got some sort of payment for doing it. But I, I, re I expect that out of those 24,000 videos, most of them were done for free. And yet, just think of the word of mouth that's created for this film. I mean, they're tapping into the nostalgia, they're tapping into the fan base. You know, I'm surprised, you know, and we're doing it as well. Mm. So we're adding to that. Um, and, you know, you should never underestimate the power of, of YouTube. And, and again, as you said, 5 billion views a day. It's the second biggest search engine after Google. Um, and, and, of course, people are going to type in Bill and Ted, and they're going to come across these retrospective reviews, and it's going to point people towards seeing this uh, new it's, film. It's fuel the appetite. So, you know, my comment to you, he, you know, who needs marketing when you have fans <laughs> like this? Yeah. And 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 there's also obviously the contributions. So, Alex Winter, uh, as you know, has moved on to film production, uh, whereas Keanu remained as a film performance. You could argue. So, he's very active on, on the socials, and even did in May when I, I think they knew that they were have to delay till August. So, to keep the fan kind of engaged, he also did a, a bit of a competition on social media where people had to essentially um, imitate, you know, the the air guitar playing of the one yeah. stallions for a bit of a cameo on you know kind of uh, tucked away tv screens you know during the the main the main story of bill and ted face to music the the fans are also going crazy about potential easter eggs so where there would be objects scenes characters and more from the first two um so i, I think this movie is going to be talked about for quite some time yeah, and, and it will undoubtedly create another series of unforgettable memes, I guess. Mm. You know, because there's always the things you can remember from the first two films, like the way they sing Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. <laughs> you know, the, the telephone box. I mean, it's it's a straight rip-off of the TARDIS out of Doctor Who, although it's not bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. But that is effectively what it is, a time-travelling um, telephone box. So I can't wait to see 
what the cultural references are that they've built into this new film. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that the music. So, I mean, I don't remember, but I must have watched the VHS cassette because back in 89-91, those movies were out when I was working in the in the video store. I mean, I must have watched those movies so many times because they would just lift your spirits and, and the acting was so on point in terms of, you know, the goofy Californians and so on living in St. Dimas. Um, People don't like the second one. I like it a lot, actually. It's a much smarter storyline, potentially. That's mm -hmm. why it disconnected with a much younger audience. But the way they take on death and the way they actually, you know, uh, possess, you know, uh, his dad's body and he pretends to be Keanu Reeves, you know, uh, Ted and so on. It's just some beautiful moments in that. But in terms of the music, um, the soundtrack for Blend and Face Music is out already. So another uh -huh. maybe a form of marketing, Roger. Um, they've used more, obviously, current bands, including one that you introduced me to, uh, Weezer. Ah, yeah. Now, I, I, I wonder whether I should actually go and have a look at that track list or whether I should leave it to be surprised because if I see some songs on there that I like, then it might ruin, ruin the film for me a little bit. So I don't know what to do. No, absolutely. So in terms of film marketing, I'm wondering whether the message we can extract you know, from, from this is this idea of don't be afraid to go back to some of your previous content, either yourself, and revisit it to maybe show that your thinking has moved on or to show that you know things are as equal as they were. And then is there a message within the film? So what we have here is obviously our two heroes who are now middle-aged men who have not accomplished their goal, maybe because of a number of things that has gotten in the way. And is it back to this idea of it's never too late? Or don't wait mm. too long. What do you think? Mm. I think you're right. I think you're right. The, the 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 films were always hopeful, weren't they, and aspirational, and and no doubt that that will still be in the new film. And the fact that they haven't achieved their goal, I'm sure that by the end of it, they'll have achieved something. And 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 yeah, you know, absolutely. We talk about all the time on this podcast consistency of content and repurposing of content. And of course, you should go back to what you've already done and tweak it, bring it up to date, rewrite it, re-image it, whatever it is. But yeah, we can take some strong lessons from Bill and Ted. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this one. Oh, do you know, I think our audience has kind of gathered that, that you and I are <laughs> pretty excited. I mean, we, we are film buffs and we would watch, my mum used to say to me when I was younger, you're happy as long as it moves and makes sounds. That's true. I watch anything. But I have to say, at this moment in time, with what we're going through, this is going to be the movie to cheer everyone up. Yeah, I think we all need a little bit of cheering up, Pascal, don't we? We all need a little bit of cheering up. So I think that brings us to the end of another episode of Two Geeks oh, no. and a Marketing Podcast. You know, we, sh we could get back into the time-traveling phone box <laughs> and go back and talk about another film, but we'll, we'll leave that for the next episode. So that just leaves me to say thank you, as always, everybody, for watching the show or listening to the show if you listen to the audio version of Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast. Please subscribe, leave us comments where you consume your content, and until next time, let's ask you to go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards, and he was Pascal Fintoni. Mm -hmm.